Hey there, welcome to the What's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people. That's right, I'm Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them truly unique. We wanna know what it is about everyone, so we're asking. What's your thing? Welcome to episode number 13 of the What's Your Thing podcast. I am one half the host of this show, my Brennan. other half. <laughs> You're Brennan and I'm the other half, Caitlin. Welcome back. Lucky number 13. We have a really exciting guest on this uh, show. We have, for the first time, a young adult author with multiple books published. I'm excited for the conversation. Brennan, why don't you give us the introduction? What's Your Thing podcast, episode number 13. Again, Brennan here. We have a special guest today, a author of mid-grade fantasy novels. For those of you who aren't Quite familiar with them. Very popular, similar books and series are among the Harry Potters and the Keepers of the Lost Cities. We have N.P. Thompson, an author of two books released, River of Crows, Mirror of Wolves, and the upcoming third book, Stone of Serpents, to be released in May of 2024. She is very well educated, has degrees in cognitive science, education, <laughs> interactive media design, and is an animal lover and a mother of two. And hopefully I got it right. Please welcome to the show, N.P. Thompson, and tell us, what's your thing? Hi, I'm so happy to be here. My thing, as you mentioned, is writing kids' books. More specifically, I write fantasy novels for that gray area in between middle grade and YA. Amazing. So how did you get started into this? I think of like fantasy and I'm one of those people that I love. I have an imagination, but I find it so hard to keep track of everything that I'm thinking of. How do you get your start in this sort of thing and kind of stay on point? Oh boy. <laughs> There's a lot in that question. Yeah. Um, I was a big reader when I was a kid. I was always reading. I never went anywhere without at least one book in my bag. And it was just... I was always surrounded by books. My dad was also a really big reader and our basement was just, he built shelves and just filled them up with books. And anytime I wanted a book, I'd be like, I need a recommendation. And he'd lead me down to his little home library and sort of recommend books for me. So um, I've always, always, always been reading. And I think a lot of people have this sort of, because I've heard it a lot from people, you know, I always wanted to read a book. And I was like that too. I had, um, I actually got my start in nonfiction and I, my very first book was a nonfiction book. And I remember I, um, I met a friend at Toastmasters and uh, that's how we became friends. And he um, has a number of books in the nonfiction genre. And he, some of them are, are on the New York Times list. And he was talking about uh, one of his books one day, and, and I remember talking to him after the Toastmasters session, he was just mentioning it. And, you know, I've always thought about writing a book. And he looked at me and he said, so, do it. And I just sort of blinked and sort of went, oh, okay. <laughs> so I went out and did it. And I remember him, he took that book in one of our um toastmaster sessions afterwards after i'd written it and he held it up in front of the entire group and i was so embarrassed but i was so proud at the same time and he said i cannot tell you the number of people who have come up to me and told me that they want to write a book 
And he said, I have taken time to speak with every single one of them. She's the only one who's done it. And I wrote a bunch of um, nonfiction stuff. And then when my son was young, he was about six years old and he was reading many grade levels above his grade level. So I think he was, he was in grade one and he was reading at like a grade six or seven level. Oh my goodness. And it was so hard for me to find books that he wanted to read because he was so far advanced for that sort of age category. But also he was still a six-year-old kid and trying to find books that were both sort of age and developmentally appropriate, but were also challenging and interesting for him was actually really hard for me. I remember walking into bookstores and just like, help <laughs> and I think my desire to write um fantasy novels came out of sort of that period of my life was just wanting to write the books that I wished were available when my kids were tiny so did you find with that like just having like immersed yourself in so many books since you were younger and then having previously written nonfiction, did it come kind of like the process come easy to you or just the fact that you're in fantasy and there's so much that you can do with it did you find it challenging to kind of it's very mean? different from writing non-fiction I'll go with that to start with yeah. um but just the way my brain works I think I I'm fairly methodical about the way I write I do start with an outline I know what's going to happen and this was always going to be a series from the very time first book it was it was going to be a series and I knew that I had originally planned on a trilogy and I got through and plotted out sort of what was going to happen in the first three books. And I got to the end of that plotting and I was like, hmm, there's a couple of really critical things that haven't been solved yet. So I guess we're ready for That would be the next question. Sorry, if I could go to like, what led you to finding this particular style? Like this, these books, if you can tell us a little bit about them, the tr so far trilogy and going on to four. Um, the, the inspiration for this whole series was, I don't know, you guys are in auto as well. So I don't know if you've ever actually looked up at around this time of year, in the spring and in the fall, you can see them from pretty much everywhere in the city, but there's crows and you can see them, they flow in a line across the sky in the spring and the fall. And there were articles about this group of crows in this city many years ago, I remember reading them, there's about 60,000 of them nesting up near the general hospital. And every spring and every fall, when it's not nesting season for, for baby crows, they huddle together in a group. So they go and they roost in this area near the general hospital every night for, you know, warmth and safety. And then every morning they flow out to every part of the city and it's just lines of crows. You can watch them and they're flowing. It looks just like a river black river flowing through the sky and so many people have absolutely no idea that that happens but I have always just been fascinated by them and I will literally I'll just drop what I'm doing just to watch them I'll be out shoveling my driveway and I'm just like oh the crows are out so they were I I always thought of them as a river just because they're so, it's so organic. They're flowing and they're waving and they're moving. I have a friend who calls them the crow pipeline, but they never really struck me as a pipeline. That's too rigid and mechanical. It was a crow river. It's always been a river of crows to me. And that phrase, river of crows, was what set off my whole writing journey. I just, 
it just got stuck in my head and I just knew this would make such a great title for a book and this concept of how could I work that into a book? How could these crows become a story? That's really, really cool that you found your inspiration. So building on that, you have this amazing idea based on something that you can see and have this reaction to. So can you tell us just a little bit about the world and where you built from that idea of this river? The the world in my stories? Yes. So the first book, it starts off, they're here and the, the in, in our world. And the world is, it, the, the city that these kids are in is called the, well, the main character anyway. He's in a city called New Haven. And it's loosely based on Ottawa. It's um, he's he's in a suburb of Ottawa, basically, but it's New Haven, not Ottawa. And he has this crow that he's noticed that's in the neighborhood. It's a crow that has a one white feather, and he's just fascinated by this crow and he really wants to make friends with it. So he starts researching crows and learning about them. And he learns that they can recognize different human faces, and they're smart, and they can use tools, and they can actually build friendships with people so he starts trying to feed it and make friends with this crow and then his crow friend he, he gets hurt so he gets into this situation where he sees this weird girl from school and she's she's like a weird kid and nobody really wants to sort of be around her because she's always talking about magic and nobody believes in magic but she's obsessed with it so they all just kind of leave her alone and he comes across her trying to save this group of crows from the school bully who's whipping rocks at this crow. And then he realizes that this crow she's defending is his friend that he calls Street because of the white, the white feather on him. So that sort of sends them into this adventure where they decide they have to get this crow back to his family. And well, obviously they have to follow the river of crows to go back to the roost because the crows, crows will actually look after an injured member of their own flock. They'll feed them and take, take care of them until they're able to fly again. So, they go and then as they get to this this roost, they suddenly discover that there's more to this roost than they had previously understood because they follow Streak into a little forest that's at the back of this field where all these crows are and they find that a portal gets opened and they get sucked through into this magical world. And that sends them off on a whole new adventure because Ty finds out that this girl, she believes in magic for a reason. She's not actually from around here. <laughs> so then he has to, he starts learning all this stuff about her and how he sort of misjudged her. And they sort of meet a whole bunch of new friends on their journey because she has been looking for a portal because her brother's been kidnapped by crows. And Ty doesn't understand oh. the character, doesn't understand how, no, how can they crows? They can't kidnap somebody. And she's just very upset because she knows what she saw. And so she's off trying to find her brother because she knows her brother's been taken back to this magical world that she's a refugee from, from many years ago. She and her mother came from this strange place. And there now she's determined to find her brother. So Ty's going to try and help her find her brother because she's the only one who can possibly get him home. And Chaos and mayhem and lots of magic ensues. <laughs> so that's, is that like the synopsis of book one? Or is that just kind of carrying in? That's book one. Well, because I was going to say, when you look that's at that. That's the start I, of book one. That's the start of book <laughs> one. And you've got three, you've got one coming out. And you said this could lead to four, maybe five in a, in a series. Um, so how, you start with an idea, you write yeah. a book, 
you moved from book one to book two. You moved from book two to what's coming. Yeah. Book. Two. How does your perspective change from the start, from what your thought process was going to be? Then you have your editing period piece. Is there a, a point where you're like, I know this is going to work. And then maybe somebody who's reading over it is like, ah, you should probably change this. And like the whole story <laughs> shifts. How is it? How's your whole thing changed from what day one you thought was going to be to expanded universe book four, three. So what I always tell people when they ask me about writing advice is the first draft is always for yourself. Nobody, nobody should ever see that first draft except you. It's basically just you telling the story to yourself. You're just trying to get all those ideas out there, get them down so that you can work with them. So a lot of people, especially when you're talking to kids, they sort of figure you just write a story and it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Explain to them that that's, like that's just start. the first step. You have to get the story written and then the real magic, literary magic happens in the revising and the editing stages. And that part it's it's the most important part i think when it comes to writing and there's sort of you've got writers in two camps sort of with this some people absolutely hate revising and editing they loathe it they love the initial story part but they absolutely hate having to work with it after i'm in the opposite camp i find the first stage getting the story out is the, is the longest and the hardest stage for me so is it still your like same person that kind of got you into writing that would help you with your editing or do you have a team? No, I have an editor. I have a professional editor I hire who okay. once I'm once I've worked with all my stuff and it's I'm I'm happy with the with the manuscript. And that's like there's a lot of revising and elf self-editing that happens before it gets to the stage where it goes to the editor. Is it ever frustrating where you're just like they're like, oh you got to take this out, you got to do this. And you're just like, no, <laughs> no, I wanted that. And then it works out in the end because you're like, okay, I get it. In the in the first book, there were a few things we sort of had some discussions about because um, especially when you know that you're writing a series and you have sort of things that are planned, so you're putting your little Easter eggs in. It's like, yeah, no, I can't take that out because. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I guess, where we're going to go next is for the future of this series and then like whatever else I'm sure you, if you're a writer, you're a writer, you're probably going to expand onto that. Do you kind of know where this is going to end, but you're kind of filling it in as you go along, or is it just your, your, like your plan of three books turned into four because you've got a little bit more to say and you kind of know that. Oh no, it's, it's going? more than four. This at this point, this is probably going to be sort of about eight or nine books. Oh, nice. So you're like, um, I always loved the uh, Vampire Chronicles and I, I went through the first couple books and it was like, okay, I can keep them coming, keep them coming. So that's great. Did, and do you have that yeah, in your when head? you find like, a series you really like, it's like, ooh, don't stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my wife's big into the Outlander series. She can like, she's like, just hopes the books keep coming. But um, yeah, do you know, do you, do you kind of see, even though it's nine books, where it's going to end or do you think you're oh, yeah. open to changing? Yeah, no, it's, so you get this sort of plotting versus pantsing thing where people sort of, some writers just they don't go in with any plan at all it's just my muse she'll tell me where i'm going that gives me such anxiety that. i cannot do that i need to know i had just the way my brain works i need to have a logical sort of these are the things i want to happen this is sort of my arch my story arch for the entire series this is sort of the story arch for these few books then these few books so this is actually going to be sort of three sets of three basically so there's sort of the overarching storyline for the entire series then i've got sort of sort of arches for sets of three and then there's the smaller arch for the specific book and all of those have to sort of tie together and 
So I kind of need <laughs> some idea of what's going to happening, what's going to be happening because it's such a complicated and sort of a long-term project that way. But once I start writing, like even though I do have an outline and I know generally what's going to happen, there's always room for things to sort of shift and change as I'm writing because you'll sort of get more ideas as you're as you're going that you hadn't really sort of considered before. And sometimes like these characters, I, I can't really speak for other authors, but like my characters, they just sort of come into my head and I sort of, sometimes they sort of take me on new directions. I was like, this is what I planned for you now. No, I'm going this way. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what I wanted, wanted to just follow up with. Like, where do you draw your inspiration for characters? Do you kind of, do you have your, you know, your protagonists and your antagonists, but do you just kind of look down at your family or in the, on the road? You're like, oh, that kind of person I can... I can work that kind of personality into my my story. Um, for specific characters, it's yes and no. Like, I don't sort of start off thinking I'm going to write a character that's like this. Okay. But what I do sometimes have is when I'm writing a character, I sometimes have like an actor in a particular role, sort of how the sort of speech patterns were being interrupted by my very yelly cat. <laughs> Um, so I will have sort of speech patterns and accents and stuff in my head as I'm writing. Like the first book, there's a, there's a sort of a helper character that the kids encounter and his name is Archimedes. And he has, um, in my, in my head, when I was writing him, I totally had David Tennant in my head, but not David Tennant as he is now. It's David, David Tennant as like a really old man with like a long gray beard, but channeling his manic Doctor Who energy. And that whole character is sort of built around that sort of that, I don't know, construct in my head. Yeah. So yes and no. <laughs> so there's a character in the second book, actually, I had, uh, I don't know if you know who Jane Carr is. Yeah. Yeah. Jane Carr is awesome. I love Jane Carr. When yeah. I get old, I want to be just like Jane Carr. But anyway, <laughs> or you or you know, um, uh, Bet Betty White was also my other sort of. When I get older, that will be how I will be. But uh, I feel like Betty White's Jane everybody's Carr. favorite. What's that? I, I think Betty She's White's like the person on the planet that everybody loved, regardless. Yeah. yeah, but Jane Carr has a very distinct way of speaking. She's got a much higher pitched voice, and she's got very the characters that I've seen her play have been sort of very sort of sharp and. That was kind of sort of the the personality that I had for another character in um, who shows up in book two, the professor. So it's uh, it's I, I do have some sort of influence that way, but I don't sort of specifically decide I'm going to write a character and they're going to be this. They just sort of show up in my head and they just sort of get molded, I guess. By <laughs> so it's really cool that you saw like a gap of what was needed for young readers and you decided to fill it since you've been writing now that you're you know into publishing book three has the publishing world changed is this kind of like a um a demographic that people are writing more for boy um <laughs> middle grade is actually a really i think it's a really rough area to be in right now it's there's so much happening in the middle grade world these days. Like a lot of the, um, 
a lot of the the book awards that used to be there specifically for middle grade have just disappeared. Even Goodreads this year didn't even do their their Goodreads choice for middle grade anymore. It's not even a category. Um, and a bunch of the other, the bigger ones too, are just they're just gone. So it's it's hard, I think, for middle grade writers to get the word out about their books. It's it's just. Is that just a demographic not reading books anymore, more focused on like the social um, media and stuff like that? Or because we're not far removed from even like the Hunger Games and stuff like that. What's the thing what's, is, what's, is I don't think that authors really get much of a say in sort of what happens along those lines. I think in some, in a lot of ways, I think trends get set at the publisher ends of things. So they're decided, you know, this is what we're going to do. And if it doesn't fit that trend, they're not going to push it, you know? So. And the publishing industry in general is very trend-based, I find. So you're going to find a lot of right now, it's huge in graphic novels. That will fade and then it'll be something else. And then it'll be something else. So. So, so a question along the lines of trends and so many middle schoolers right now are on social media. Is a social media president presence, is that necessary to companion these books right now and get them out there? Um, that's another issue that's, you asked how the industry's changed. Um, Twitter was the sort of big site for the writing set. Everybody was on Twitter. And then Twitter crashed and burned. (laughs) The writers are leaving in droves and it's scattered right now. So that's, that's, I think that's one of the things that's made a lot of us writers sad because like, our people were over on Twitter and now they're just gone. They're everywhere and nobody really knows where anybody is right now. So I still see a lot of people on, on Instagram. I think book talk is really big, but uh, I'm not on TikTok. So <laughs> I'm um, interested in doing video. I'm, I'm very, I so like this is actually really hard. For me. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm really sorry about my cat. She's very, very loud. Oh, have you not heard mine? No, like, I have. It's going crazy. She's been chewing around everything. Maybe they're hearing. She comes and says hi to each other. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can sense. They're like, "Hey, what's going Maybe. on?" Maybe. Um. So the social media. I'm on. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Blue Sky, but for the middle grade crowd, they're not the ones who are buying the books, right? So you're not really direct directly reaching kids. Just mm. in general. So. I don't really know how important the social media is right now. And I think that whole, that whole area is kind of in flux right now as everybody's trying to figure out what the next big thing is going to be. And it's, uh, it's, it's also very, very time consuming. So I think most of us are just like, okay, just pick a couple and hope for the best because I mean, at the end of the day, one of the things that most people do not understand about writers is people hear you've written a book and everybody assumes you're rolling in it like rolling right <laughs> they, they assume you've got like Stephen King or, or JK Rowling levels of money everybody assumes this when they hear that you're a writer that is not the case most writers most of us have at least one day job Um, And especially in Canada, which is not a particularly big book market, like there are literally best-selling New York Times best-selling authors in this country who have multiple jobs and roommates because you can't make a living 
You can't pay your bill, you pay your bills, buy your kids groceries. You can't do that on book sales, especially not in this country. So at the end of the day, whatever time you have around, you know, working and your kids and other responsibilities, that time is best spent writing rather than trying to manage, you know, six different social media and social media feeds and accounts and stuff. So, but to your credit, you have been doing very well as River of Crows was a finalist in the 2023 Canadian Book Club Awards, which was announced this month. Was the winner announced yet? It was. The winner was announced in December. It was not my book, sadly. That's okay, but congratulations. <laughs> was, like it that, that in itself, that speaks volumes. Like, and that's what I my next question was going to get to. Can you give us a quick synopsis of the first two books and then tell us what's coming out so we can give kind of the listeners an idea of what they can get out and start and buy and, and read, you know, especially people who are into just into reading in general, but if you're into fantasy, you know, like. Yeah, this is, this is, I've heard some people call it epic fantasy. I don't think I would classify it as epic. I mean, it's epic in the sense that there is a very established magical system. There's a political system and a religious system sort of in this, this fantasy world. Um, and there is sort of a well-defined history that sort of helps to explain how, what, what's happening in this magical world that they're in. But it's not as, um, well, there's the cat. Yeah, he always comes and says, huh. <laughs> my but it's not as um, heavy. I would I would use the term heavy as, as a lot of epic fantasies are. It's um, certainly not a difficult read, I wouldn't think. It's book one is River of Crows, and that's how the adventure starts off. The main character sort of meets his, his new friends and gets through to the magical world and starts on his big adventure. So he wants to get back home basically. And mm -hmm. he finds out that there are a lot of, a lot of shocks to his system as he starts off on this adventure. And uh, he realizes that his mother who died when he was just a baby had actually been from this world. And so that sort of sets off a whole new load of things he has to deal with while he's trying to help his friends rescue their families. So his friend, Aislinn, who is the other sort of main character, she she's trying to find her brother who's been kidnapped. He meets these three other kids in this forest on the way to, to find a sorcerer who they think can help them. And they're looking for their parents who have also been kidnapped. They've just disappeared and they don't know what's happened to them. But they're all trying to, to find their family and it turns out that their family may have been kidnapped by this evil sorcerer. So they've decided they're going to go and rescue him. And that's that's sort of their big adventure in book one. In book two, they there's there's a so there is a prophecy in this world. And in book one, you find out that this prophecy could equally fit Ty or Aislin. And they're not really sure which one is the actual sort of chosen one who's going to save the world. And in book two, they overhear the grown-ups talking and they hear about this mystical artifact that can tell people their destinies. So Ty is absolutely determined that he has to track this thing down and find his destiny. He has to know if he's the one who's destined to beat this evil sorcerer because sort of at the end of book one, they had a showdown with him and it did not go well. So he's terrified in book two and he learns something about his mother's death in book one 
that he's also struggling with in book two. So he really wants to know, does he have any chance of beating this bad guy? So they go off on this, this adventure to try and track down this artifact. And that takes them into a whole new set of dangerous magical struggles. And at the end of that book, um, that it ends on on a cliffhanger. Okay, good. And that's this is leading to what's coming out in May. So it um, book three starts basically right where that one left off. Cool. So there at the end of book two, I, I don't know. I can't really explain to you how that's uh, <laughs> spoilers. No, that's that's what we want. We just wanted that. Uh, like that's exactly it, what I wanted. In book three, it, picks, up, it picks up where they left off and. Yeah. It goes into there's a major major showdown that happens in book three and there's um there's some major things that happens there's some serious twists in this one and it's awesome. sort of setting them up for the rest of the series and it's going to really shake these kids up heading into book four awesome yeah that's uh we just wanted to give <laughs> awesome he says i'm just like oh please don't hit me <laughs> no that's uh this is great and that's um that's what we want. Uh, we want to help, like, you know, promote. We want people like local authors support and everything like that. We have another question that's kind of not to do with your thing. And that's what we like to ask people. Do you have anything you want to share us uh, interesting about yourself? That's not your thing you're talking about today. Something. Oh, fun. not book related. I love to garden. I um, just bought my first house just uh, this past May. So just as gardening season was starting. So like the first thing I did before I did anything else was frantically dig some garden beds and just throw whatever plants I could get from a friend into there and hope they grew from time for the uh, gardening season. So I'm Are you a flower really gardener or a vegetable to... gardener? Or do you want to be both? Or... Both. I do yeah. both actually. So the people I bought it from had started sort of a little perennial garden. So I'm sort of, I, this fall, I split a bunch of the bigger ones and I've created a new garden out front and sort of expand those and expand my vegetable garden this year. I find that probably could be very therapeutic, eh? If you do it right, it can be relaxing and or frustrating, again, depending on the season. Well, I'm just sort of starting and just learning here. So far, I've been I've been very happy with it. I've had other gardeners who are much more jaded than I am say, "Wait until the squirrels discover it." <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's. Yeah, gonna, I guess uh, we'll see. Yeah. So I guess next would be um, where can we buy your books? Uh, let's let's get it out there. So if people, I encourage you to check it out, and where can they get it? You can get it at uh, almost any online ebook store. So um, Kobo has it, Amazon has it, uh, Apple has it. It is available in paperback in both Amazon and um, ooh, I think I think Chapters has it has the paperback in Canada. But I think the best bet in Canada would probably be Amazon for the paperback. Ebook is is everywhere. You can also borrow them all both. Of, the first two books are both available through the Ottawa Public Library. Um, both paperback and ebook versions are available through the library. And uh, if if there's other places that you want it, um, there is a general book link on my website at nptrights.com. And if you go to the books page, there's a general uh, there's books to reads dot 
of books to read links that sort of have all of the places where they're available. I can't remember them all offhand, but uh, there's a bunch. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much for taking some time out on this evening to come and talk to us. And it's really exciting. Brendan and I are huge readers. We've been huge readers for our, our entire life. So it's always really cool to talk to somebody who builds those worlds. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been very exciting being here. Yeah, we we're grateful to have you on. And thank you so much for being here. And everybody check out the books. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on uh, What's Your Thing? Thanks. So make sure to check us out, whatsyourthingpod.com. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, follow us on TikTok. Check us out. We're going to have a blast. What's your thing? What's your thing?